This morning I'm very excited to share and I want to sort of preempt this word today because I feel like it's a word that probably we need to hear every year, maybe twice a year. So I guess I want to say that to say first of all, I hope today as I'm speaking you don't feel any judgment, but I hope you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a loving, kind way. So we're going to start in Revelation this morning. Mm, I know, it always has that ooh bit, but don't freak out. This is a letter to the church in Ephesus. I'm going to read it out to you, and then I'll, I'll take you along the journey. Revelation chapter 2, 1 to 7, if you have your Bibles with you, otherwise just have to trust me. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands represented the seven churches. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you first had. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do these things as you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This is a big one. I want to give you some context, first of all, to Ephesus. I don't know if you've read Ephesians before or this letter before and assumed that the church in Ephesus was doing awesome. That it was a place where the church, the way, was celebrated. It was not celebrated. In fact, the Roman Empire in Ephesians and Ephesus was one of the most popular places for all the wrong things. This was the money-making centre for the Roman Empire. They made so much money out of idol worship, the big centres of slavery and the yuck stuff. This was the place, this was the hub where all this was. Domitian was the leader of the time. He was a bad dude. Very evil. Did not like Christianity. Loved the many gods idea. Artemis was the god of Ephesus. She was a very unusual god. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a picture of her. Needless to say, she had many breasts. The idea of that was that she was a giver, basically. She was the provider. And they loved her. They worshipped her. But she was very very evil. The goal of her was quite dark. I'm going to go to that in just a second. But I want you to understand what it was like living here. So every day they would sacrifice a cow to Artemis. They would burn the offering. And then if you wanted to go into the marketplace to buy or sell, you would go to where the offering was made. You would burn incense to Artemis. And you would make an offering to Artemis. 
in doing that, you were saying Artemis is the number one god. She's number one. If you did that, they would grab the ash from the bull and they would put it on your forehead or on your wrist. The mark of the beast. Because the only way you could buy or sell and go in the marketplace. So as you can imagine, as Christians in this time, this was not an easy place to live. To have food and to make money was difficult. I want you to understand as well the culture of Ephesus was very, very unusual. This brought people in from all different areas, all different cultures. They were all smacked into one place. That in itself isn't a problem. But they all worship different gods. So they brought all their gods into this one place. It was a cesspool of gods. Worship of gods was accepted, loved. If you understand uh, the moral code, Slavery was accepted. Child slavery was accepted. I'm not going to go into it today, but you can see where we're going. It wasn't a good place to live. Inclusion and tolerance was the words of the day. <laughs> Different times, but the same evil. This is what they were living in, these Christians were living in. So the right religion to say you were the follower of the way, the follower of Jesus, you were saying there's only one God allowed. That was a big problem. It convicted all those people who were in this place who worshipped many gods. So they didn't like the Christians. In fact, it got to a culture that if you lived near a Christian, as a neighbour, you would dog them in. You would tell the Romans, I'm living near a Christian. They would take them, they would torture Christians and often murder Christians. This is what it's like living in Ephesus. So, being true to your faith, being a follower of the way, it wasn't for the weak. We know these Christians were devout Christians. They were strong Christians. They had been tested. Now, little side note, Domitian, when this letter was written, was in power. Domitian then moved on there. I guess the Christians would have hoped, oh good, a new guy's coming in. This could be different for us. Nero comes in. Goes from bad to worse. Yet, the church was growing. The Holy Spirit was moving. Isn't that always the way the church works? When we're persecuted, we go, I believe it even more now. Holy Spirit, give me strength. And it grew. It was growing. Now, I always do your homework, I can't help it. Artemis was a very evil god, as I mentioned, but there's one thing you need to know in context here. People believe that if you followed Artemis, then you are an extreme feminist. Now, I want to put this in context here. We're not talking about equal. I'm all about equal. She was not about equal. The idea of following Artemis was that the women of this time were taught to be rude, to speak out inappropriately, to hate marriage and family. They were undoing all the normal things that church and family were, that God created. 
So women were in a real ugly state in this place. So the homework is 1 Timothy 2, 11, 15. Some of you are already smiling. It talks about the women in church. I want you to do research at home, because it's not for today for me. But I want you to understand the context here. The women in church at this time were speaking out and being rude and being obnoxious. Very different to normal church life. That's just your side note. So I'm going to take this message two ways today. We're going to do a check. I don't want to say a pulse check on your first love. And the other question I'm going to ask is, have you experienced this first love that Revelation talks about? You may have heard the tale where a husband and a wife are together and the wife says to the husband, do you still love me? And the husband responds, what a silly question. I take out the rubbish. I pay the bills. I occasionally wash the dishes. I always mow the lawn. Maybe I don't say I love you, but all these things I do should tell you that I love you. And if I decide that I don't love you, I'll let you know. <laughs> I feel like this is a perfect example of what's going on here in Ephesus. Their motivation is love. What they were doing for the way was motivated in the right way. But they had turned to just doing and not loving. John writes, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and you have found false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. Wow. In context, this was a big deal. I think if I was in that place and I was doing all the things right, John is saying you're doing all these things right, you'd be going, yes, we are fighting a good fight for Jesus. Yes. They were fighting. They were protecting the gospel. They were confronting sin. They were working out if doctrine was correct or not. They scrutinized people to make sure they were walking the way the right way. The church was constantly enduring physical and spiritual attacks. They were going through a lot. Had they stopped loving Jesus? No, they had not. Had they stopped working hard for Jesus? No, they had not. Had they given in to the challenges of the time? No. But had duty, works, doctrine, got in the way of their first love? Revelation tells us, yes, it has. Once the church was motivated by love, once the church was motivated about how they could influence the world around them, how they could love the people that they were around, but hardship and attacks had changed their view, it had taken its toll. It had been less than 30 years and this shift had started to happen. It wasn't intentional. They didn't mean to do that. In fact, they probably just got distracted by all the things. I don't know that I could judge that. I can relate to that. And this letter was written by John, and John sends seven letters to seven different churches in Revelation at this time. 
They all have their challenges. They all have something they have to work on to come back into alignment again. But I love that these letters from John through the Holy Spirit were there to help the church. He didn't go, oh, you're on your own now. Yeah, you're really going down a path that I can't follow you on your own. No, there's kindness through the Holy Spirit in these letters. I want you to come back with me. I want you to come back into relationship with me. I want all the promises that I've given you to be yours. That's what I want. Sometimes we can read this and think it's a bit judgy. It's, it's not judgy. It's loving. Because the best place we can be is in relationship with him. And I love how practical this is as well. I know I've thought it. I'm sure you've thought it. You sometimes wish, gee, I wish the Bible would just tell me exactly what I could do to fix a solution and then I'd be awesome. Yes, we have it. It's right here. Give it to us step by step what to do to get back to your first love. I'm so thankful for that myself. If you're writing notes, write this down. First, they need to know and remember just how far they've fallen. It was a healthy fork in the road moment for them. They were walking this path, they were on this journey, they were going a certain way, and then this letter turns up and it stops them. Do I just keep doing what I'm doing? Do I just keep doing what I think is successful? God, I'm working for you, I'm doing this. But this letter goes, no, stop. It's time to change paths again. It's time to move. See, the enemy doesn't try to change us overnight. He's subtle like that. He can even get us to do church work to move us away from Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Israel did it over and over in the Old Testament. Within one generation, they'd actually walked away from God and worshipping idols. In some moments, it was even a miracle, and then they'd already walked away. Maybe we can relate to that. They had forsaken their first love. My mum has this little thing on her fridge that says, be known for what you love, not for what you hate. And I've always gone, it's obvious that we know what I love. But is it obvious? Is it sometimes we get so focused on the battle that we are facing, because we are focusing and in a battle, that we talk about battle all the time? We talk about what we're fighting all the time instead of the conversation coming out of love. I just love Jesus so much. That is the overflow of my conversation instead of all the things I have to do to fix. Now, I want you to hear me loud and clear here. Does the church need to stand up for certain things? Does the church need to show an example of how to live as a Christian? Absolutely. I'm not saying we don't do that. But the context should not be about fixing, but our eyes on him. And those things will flow along. The Ephesians, the church in Ephesians had replaced duty. Had put duty, sorry, instead of love. And my brain, I don't know how your brain works, my brain wonders how they first got saved, these followers. Because they're strong. Maybe they saw a miracle. And that was the moment they followed Jesus for the first time. 
Maybe they felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in a meeting and they were like, whoa, this is real. I'm following. Maybe it was a message that just spoke right to their heart and it turned them from their ways. Whatever it was, each one of these people in this church had an encounter with Holy Spirit. And they were walking with him because of that moment. I don't know about you, but I've attended a conference and come home from conference feeling pretty passionate. Maybe it was a youth camp or a young adults camp. Get your forms in. Yeah. No, actually, you guys do really well. Thank you. Um, but it was a moment that you went away and you was like, whoa, yes, Holy Spirit was there. I felt it. I know he was moving in my life. Maybe it's a miracle you've seen in your life. We've all had moments that were pinnacle in our lives. And maybe as I'm speaking this today, you, you can think of those moments. Do that, actually. Think of those moments. Think about a time in your life you went, whoa, I was just really on fire there. I really felt something going on there. This letter is for us, for you, for me. <coughs> to remember these moments, but then wonder where the passion has gone. Or, you not only remember these moments, but you're chasing after them. The first one. I believe this is what Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church today, and I actually feel like it's two different things, two different groups at the same time, which is always fun. The Holy Spirit is taking you to your heart this morning. Your first love has dwindled. You're still here. You're not going to walk away from Jesus. That's not going in your head. But as I'm speaking, you're also thinking, oh, Dave, I, I really just hope this message doesn't go too much over time today. I just don't, don't do anything weird, mate, because then we'll just extend our experience here. Maybe coming into worship this morning and you're hearing a worship song and you're like, mm -hmm. There for it, but it's a little bit. Mm, it'll work. It's not flowing as easy as it should. When I was expecting on Holy Spirit to move in our service in this moment today, let me chuck this one in for free. Maybe when you feel like you face a challenge, when the world's facing a challenge, and the first thing you respond to is like political or medical, medical or humanical. It's made up that word. But it's all flesh stuff. That's our first response. That could be a good indicator. Again, I'm not saying those things are wrong. But followers of Jesus are spiritual people. Our first response should be spiritual. We should have room for miraculous in our lives. We all need that triggered response in this moment. Oh, yeah, I guess I do that. The second group of people, you're chasing the experience. You think that if Holy Spirit showed up this morning, really, that Dave wouldn't be preaching this message. He'd be throwing this thing out and let's just see what happens. And that's not wrong either. I love that. But I also believe Holy Spirit speaks in preparation as well. Let me hear, hear me loud and clear. I, I want to see miracles. I love feeling the presence of God in this place. 
But I can't chase those things. I must chase Him. And when I chase Him, those things will follow. We have to come back to having no expectations and just, I'm here for you, Father. Whatever you want to do, I'm giving myself to you. Let's not be Christians that are like a boy and girl who meet for the first time. And for three months, that oxytocin is going crazy in your brain. And all the feels are there. And it's just like, this is the best thing in the whole world. And then after the three months it's gone, the oxytocin stops kicking in. You're like, oh, this is hard work. I actually have to choose to love this person now. It's not about the feeling anymore. I don't want to be a church that's all about the feelings all the time. I want to be part of a church that just goes, I am choosing you first, Jesus. I am putting my feelings aside. I'm feeling all those feelings that might betray me. I'm putting them aside and I'm giving you my focus, Jesus. We don't need a buzz to be followers of Jesus. We worship even when we don't feel like it. We turn up expectant only on him and what he would do. The second big thing here is the church in Ephesus needed to repent. They had to see how far they'd fallen to realize what had happened that they had slowly drifted away. In the second part, what John tells us, they needed to repent. He laid out a path for them that was very clear. Here's what to do next. But I love this about the Holy Spirit. He hasn't changed. He doesn't force these things upon us. He doesn't make us repent. He doesn't make us go, you're wrong and he's going to fix it for you. Now he allows us to be part of the path, to be part of the situation. A path to forgiveness is actually a choice. We could go our own way. As I said, I don't think we'd, for the majority of us, we wouldn't walk away from Jesus. We would just not be where he wants us to be. Responding to correction, getting correction, is the most loving thing that he could do for us. I say it to my kids all the time. I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't want to have this this conversation with you. But because I love you, I will do this. Because if I leave you, you're going to be a brat. And I don't want that for your life. Discipline. And being put into line is good for us, whether we like it or not. That repentance is for us to choose. And don't forget, this is a really different experience for repentance for these guys. Because not long ago, they were making sacrifices for atonement. That wasn't that far away in the distance. And yet now, we get to get forgiveness just by asking. Because we are in relationship with the Holy Spirit. That would have been huge for them. So different. What an experience that was to talk to Jesus. We are so thankful. We almost take that for granted now that we can just take a moment and pray. But church, I want to challenge us to do just that. To look at our 
life, to look at the way we love Jesus and go, do I need to repent? Do I need to get myself back aligned again? Is my, has my first love dwindled? Maybe we all have moments where we have to do this multiple times in a year. <laughs> Maybe sometimes in a day. But we have to get ourselves back in love with our Savior. There's a second group of people that I wanted to talk to today. You've kind of had the angle of the Ephesus group of people. Yeah, you believe in Jesus. You even believe in a lot of the things we do in the Bible. But you're also cool with New Age things. You're also cool with what Buddhism teaches. You're kind of cool with a whole bunch of things. But over time, there's something that's not giving you peace. You know the gospel, although so confronting, is true. There's a conflict in yourself. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't about following rules. And that's what you've thought. You've thought you had to line up all these things to get yourself right before you become a follower. No. He takes you as you are. With all of your thoughts, with all of your doctrine, ideas. Right or wrong, it doesn't matter. He takes you as you are. And today, Holy Spirit is looking at you and your life. And that's a little bit awkward for you. Because you know your baggage. You're actually aware of the things you've done and it's uncomfortable for you. I want to encourage you today, Holy Spirit is not looking at your baggage. In fact, he's pointing out the baggage so he can take it away. He doesn't want you to carry it anymore. He wants to take it from you. Why? Because he loves you. He sacrificed himself on the cross because of his love for us. That sin wouldn't be the stain that lived on us always. That'd be broken. We're not supposed to carry the junk. He wants to take the junk away. He wants to replace the junk with his love. It doesn't mean, as a Christian, life is easy or simple. Let's take the uh, church of Ephesus, for example. They could have been tortured for their faith. It was hard work. But you're not alone. Jesus walks with you. Holy Spirit is part of you. The journey is yours. Ben, I'd love you to just join me on stage, please. Today, sorry, Ben. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Ben. Ben and Ben as well. Ben, you're leading this next song. As I do that, church, I want us to all stand to our feet for a second. Because I think we need to respond. Have we forsaken our first love? Have we got caught up in just doing good works? Maybe even just ticking boxes. And again, your works, your good works are good works. They're not bad. But if they are duty and not love, then there's an alignment that needs to change. 
You need to say sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've made it. I'm sorry I've just put you as an add-on in my life. You need to be back at the center again. Could everyone just to close your eyes just so you can have a moment with the Holy Spirit and not be distracted? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are so loving. So loving that you won't leave us as we are. But you want to take this moment to correct our path. To make sure that you are the one that walks with us right in front. That we can look to you, trust you, and follow you, and be amazed by your love for us. If in the place today you're feeling like, yeah, Dave, you kind of triggered me a few times. A few things you said that made me go, yeah, that's that's me. I don't need you to come to the front, but I do want you to repent. This is between you and the Holy Spirit, right? It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about you and Him. John writes to the church, it's okay. You're not too far gone. You're not lost. Actually, I'm really proud of all the work you do. But, but I want you all in, your whole heart. Give me your heart back. If today you just need to give your heart back to Jesus, you just need to give him all of you again. I just want you to put your hands out like you receive a gift. Jesus, I'm sorry for all the things I've made it. <laughs> I just want you just want you. My first love. Yeah, so many of us. I'm there too, friends. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you continually choose us. <laughs> with all that junk, <laughs> with all our works, with all our plans, you choose us. Jesus, I'm sorry for all we've made, for all the things we've planned, all the works we've done to earn. Put it all aside. Just choose you, Father. We love you, Jesus. Fill our hearts again with just your presence. Push down all the flesh. Push down all the stuff. Fill us with you. We walk out of here reminding ourselves about the first love. That our talk, our conversation, our hearts would ooze first love. Thank you, Jesus. And for the group of people, this first love thing is a new concept. Knowing Jesus for the first time, it's a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. In fact, it's the best big deal ever. It's a moment you change the path you're on to your relationship. If that's you today, that you're choosing Jesus, not all the rest of the stuff, you're just choosing Him. 
That's it. Just him. If that's you, put your hands out like that too. Do the same thing. Receive that. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for hearts that are aligning with you. <laughs> that are choosing you as King and Saviour today. Father, I thank you that you have revealed the junk, the sin. I'm even more thankful that you can take it away. Take it away, Jesus. Take it away. Now, the stain of sin is no longer. We are whole in you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, so we can do that second song that we did today. I think it's important to go back to the cross. That's the first love. That's the greatest thing he's ever done for you and me. To take away everything and just show us he loves us by taking away the power of sin. So as we worship, friends, let this be a moment between you and him. Forget about who's around you. This is your first love moment. Just have a conversation as you sing with him that we worship him.